Our vision is that DeFi should be built like the internet with trustless and immutable protocol that are extremely unopinionated, extremely efficient at the core, and then on top of which we can rebuild the different abstractions. What we're going to do with Morpho-Blue is to do something extremely simple, a lending protocol that does just one thing, which is the lending and borrowing of one asset against one collateral. The good thing is that it's permissionless, exactly like Uniswap, so you can create any markets you want. So you can enable lending and borrowing of any assets against any asset. So one more for Blue Market is 600 lines of code, and it is just that. And because it is just that, you can make it completely trustless, so completely immutable, because it's super simple, there is like no management at all. And you can make it extremely efficient. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of Fourth Revolution Capital. Podcast guests and 4RC may have positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Hey everyone, welcome to The Edge Podcast. I'm DeFi Dad here with Nomadic from 4RC. Today's show features Morpho, the third largest lending protocol on Ethereum with over $1 billion in deposited assets. In this episode, we'll interview the co-founder about their recent announcement about a new lending protocol called Morpho Blue. We'll discuss how this anticipated lending protocol aims to solve DAO bottlenecks in today's largest DeFi lending protocols, which results in a more trustless, efficient, and permissionless manner. But before we do, just a quick word from our sponsors who make the Edge podcast possible. For most of us, our crypto journey started with MetaMask. And now with MetaMask Portfolio, we can do so much more. MetaMask Portfolio puts you in control. Use the dashboard to see all your assets and balances across your wallets in one place. The buy feature allows us to buy crypto assets effortlessly with fiat options such as PayPal or credit card. The swap feature allows us to swap any tokens anytime by finding a selection of available rates. The bridge feature allows us to bridge between networks including Ethereum, L1s, and L2s based on the best price and fastest delivery time. And with the stake feature, anyone in a few clicks can stake ETH and earn rewards. Do more in Web3 your way with a safe, simple, and convenient tool that's all in one place. Track and manage your Web3 everything at metamask.io portfolio. Whether you're a trader, farmer, analyst, or newbie, you can trade smart with KyberSwap, the OG decentralized exchange and aggregator on 13 chains. Swap at the best rates, farm with real yields, set limit orders, use their proprietary trading and AI tools with the best UX in DeFi, securely and permissionlessly. Get better rates, better opportunities, better alpha, and a better trading experience. Trade smart now at kyberswap.com. Mike, before we get back to the show, can you explain what is liquid restaking? Everybody at this point is familiar with the liquid staking. It lets you take your stake ETH, mint a liquid staking token, and then use that token in DeFi. Well, the hottest thing in staking right now is restaking. It's the ability to reuse your stake ETH to provide Ethereum's trust layer to other services that want to benefit from it. Services like data availability layers, Oracle networks, other blockchains, and beyond. The benefit of restaking is that you get to earn additional staking rewards on top of your normal staking rewards. Well, uh, currently, if you want to restake your ETH, uh, your only option is to lock up uh, your ETH. The reason that's a problem is because you can't use your restaked ETH in DeFi. We are launching ETH, uh, the Etherfi liquid restaking token, because with liquid uh, restaking, users get the benefit of staking rewards, restaking rewards, and they get to collect loyalty points for EtherFi and Eigenlayer through this token. So it's the easiest way to get exposure to two up-and-coming uh, early uh, protocols, and on top of that, get all the benefits of staking and restaking. To learn more about ETH liquid staking and liquid restaking, go to ether.fi. It all started so simply with CryptoKitties and Maker on Ethereum, but quickly became complex with more applications and many chains. Today, everyone agrees, UX issues are the biggest blocker standing in the way of crypto adoption. Introducing Avocado. Multi-chain UX redesigned from the ground up. The first wallet to abstract networks, accounts and gas. One gas tank to pay transaction fees on all chains. In USDC, 
and native access to Instadap's powerful, custom DeFi strategies. Avocado, one wallet to rule all chains. Let's introduce Paul Frebel, the co-founder and CEO of Morpho Labs. Paul studied blockchain at a French engineering school. He would go on to create and launch Morpho Protocol with Morpho Labs on Ethereum mainnet in 2022. Paul, welcome to the Edge Podcast. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me and excited to chat about Morpho. It's really good to see you again because I think we did a podcast maybe just about a year ago. This this was the DeFi Talks with DeFi Dad series that I was doing with founders of uh, leading DeFi protocols like Morpho. Uh, what's exciting is it's only a year later and you made this major announcement on October 10th about Morpho Blue. We really want to help folks to understand where are the shortcomings today in the DeFi lending and borrowing space, and just how will Morpho Blue help to uh, address those? So, Paul, why don't we start with your background? Um, I do want to talk about Morpho V1 before we get into Morpho Blue, but uh, everyone always wants to learn about, you know, how did you get your start in crypto and if I'm remembering correctly, you've got a pr pretty epic story about coming out of school, um, having studied uh, DeFi protocols and, and blockchain. So anyways, if you can share uh, any more detail on that and, and then what led you to start Morpho. Yeah, absolutely. So I was um, studying you know, blockchain and, and, and DeFi uh, at university in France. I was in an engineering school mainly first studying like distributed algorithms and consensus algorithms behind layer ones. And throughout this, uh, those studies, I, I came to meet with a bunch of different professors and spent a lot of my time modeling DeFi protocols uh, with some of them. And this is how progressively I got into, uh, you know, designing Morpho, uh, and, um, and you know, the idea seemed, seemed right. And this is where we started, you know, fundraising back in the days I was in my second year of uh, engineering school so we did raise the first round of like one million dollar and then soon after we raised the second round with uh, Andrew Sinorovitz and, and Variant of uh, approximately 20 million dollars and uh, this is where you know we we really started to uh, to deploy the protocol like last year and and build the team uh, grow the team and get to the point where we are now, which is like a protocol with over a billion dollars in, in deposited assets. But yeah, it's been a long way uh, and started from 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 university. So that uh, that's great. We uh, we're finally here. That that's a pretty epic story. That's kind of like living the dream, right? You and some, I guess, other university friends just go and raise money and then start building an epic DeFi protocol. Um, pretty awesome. I think we should just get right into Morpho. Can you just describe what it is at a high level to people that maybe aren't familiar with it? So Morpho is a lending and borrowing protocol. So basically enables you to lend and borrow crypto assets. Uh, you know, the same way, obviously, crypto enables you to transfer assets without you know, intermediaries. Morpho would enable you to earn interest on one end and borrow capital on the other end without intermediaries. And this concept isn't new, like, you know, since 2017, 2018, other protocols have been doing that. So the most famous of those were like Aave or Compound. And, you know, when I, when I was in university, I, I studied those protocols. And to me, they appeared quite inefficient. Like it was inefficient in the sense that when you were lending on Aave uh, and Compound, you were earning a certain percentage and uh, a certain rate. But on the other end, when you were borrowing, you would have to pay a much higher rate. So let's say 1% to lend and 3% to borrow. And so there's a, a big gap. And and basically the initial idea of Morpho is simply, okay, let's optimize for this gap and let's just, you know, meet in the middle and and lenders would be matched peer-to-peer -peer with borrowers and, you know, they would learn, earn two while other borrowers would pay two and, you know, that would basically be more efficient. And so... Morpho initially was presented as a lending and borrowing protocol, but in practice was optimizing existing lending protocols. And, you know, from day one, I really wanted to do, you know, my own lending and borrowing protocol. But, uh, you know, basics of uh, entrepreneurship tells that maybe it's not good to start with the biggest market first. It's better to have like a clear go-to-market strategy, like, you know, improving existing 
you know, protocols like we've been doing with, with, with Aave and Compound. So the first year, uh, you know, between 2022 and, and now has been mainly focused on what we call morpho optimizer. So this protocol optimizing Aave, optimizing Compound. And this has worked out super well. Like lenders and borrowers in DeFi have been using morpho because it provided better rates while providing similar guarantees to, to Aave and Compound. And yeah, we've been integrated by more than 200 different, you know, uh, startups, protocols, uh, analytics, like wallets. Uh, and we have over a billion dollars deposited in the protocol right now, which is quite considerable, uh, especially considering like the sort of like DeFi, uh, don't want to say bear market, which, you know, is like less attractive than what it used to be like a year and a half ago, at least. Um, and yeah, so that was the Morpho's like initial version. I want to help to dumb this down further for folks that are newer to Morpho V1 because it, it tends to be a protocol that's being used by, I would say, the most advanced DeFi users, but anyone can benefit from this. And so if I was going to give an elevator pitch, if you're looking at like Compound or Aave, there is a, a quite a spread uh, when you look at what folks are lending, let's say ETH, and then what they're borrowing it at. And you'll notice this in every single market. And so with Morpho, because of the way that they match you peer to peer uh, in a trustless, permissionless manner, uh, it's, it's cool because, I mean, the selling point is so obvious. If you're lending through Morpho Aave, you're lending at a higher rate than if you just lend on that same market on Aave. Uh, and, and then as a borrower, you borrow at a lower rate. So it's always been a no-brainer uh, unless you know you're you're looking at a protocol that's not supported by Morpho. There's uh, power tools too out there like DeFi Saver that you can check out. That's uh, DeFiSaver.com is really helpful for that. Uh, actually, Paul, you have to remind me um, as an InstaDAP user, does InstaDAP support Morpho now? Yes, I think pretty pretty much every single like smart wallet or a big DeFi app supporting Morpho now. I can't think of any, you know, big DeFi wallet or, or app that does not support Morpho uh, or is not planning to. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, you know, coming back to the initial, you know, idea of Morpho Optimizer is like, okay, have a clear go-to-market strategy, which is optimizing existing markets. You know, Avin Compound had a clear product market fit with a bunch of users and we're like, okay, let's just do better to start with. And this is what we did, worked that well, but we're sort of like reaching a limit now where, you know, Avion mainnet is something like 4 billion maybe, and Morpho is 1 billion. So you kind of see the limits here. We, we can't, you know, grow forever on top of Aave. Uh, and on top of that, the growth of Aave itself has, has not been uh, super good this last year. So we see ourselves like limited with this current version. And this is why, you know, last year we've been, you know, uh, working on on this new protocol that we'll be probably talking about in a moment. But that, that really comes from like the limits of not being able to, to grow further than that. What are those limits? Can you be a little more specific about uh, what are the limits you've run into with Morpho V1? And then let's introduce Morpho Blue and talk about how it helps to address and solve for those challenges. Yes, absolutely. So our year building like both the third largest lending protocol on Ethereum, but also the largest lending protocol user because Morpho is built on top of, you know, lending protocols itself, taught us a lot, right? We, we really took the time to think about what should be our own lending protocol because it's always been, it's always been the goal. Like, you know, Morpho, the name Morpho uh, comes from the idea that we start as a little caterpillar living in an apple, but at some point we take our own independence. And that's always been the plan. But the thing is, you know, how, how do you grow from the current state of things, which is, you know, Aave or Compound. Um, and after a year building on top of Aave and Compound, really my mental model for, for lending pools is that they're very much like on-chain funds, decentralized broker, if you prefer. So the way they work is like you deposit money into them and they manage it for you. And 
it's very passive from it. It's a very nice financial product. Like you deposit your money and behind the scenes, the DAO is going to do all the hard work to make sure your money is not going to be lost. And that means in the case of the other protocol, basically selecting the right collateral to which your USDC is going to be exposed to and selecting how much, you know, borrowers are able to borrow with what Oracle, uh, you know, to what extent are they able to use their collateral? Uh, how much liquidators can, can, can liquidate. Those kind of parameters. And actually, you have today more than 700 of those risk parameters. That's a huge number to monitor real time. So what people don't really understand is that when you're depositing USDC into Aave, well, behind the scenes, you know, on a recurrent basis, the DAO is going to update those risk parameters. And this basically, like this on-chain, on-chain fund model has three big limitations. The first one is that it's not really trustless. The second one is that it's not scalable. And the third one is that it's not efficient. So it's not trustless because basically token orders have to real-time monitor and update 700 risk parameters that are all very complex, all interdependent with one another, and all dependent on market conditions. For example, you have to select the collateral factor. So the collateral factor of a given asset is the amount of liquidity you can borrow from your collateral. This amount is, you know, in the orders of magnitude of, let's say, 80%, right? As a token holder of the Avid DAO, I'm not really supposed to understand why this parameter is at 80% or 82 or or if it should be, you know, 90. It's actually very complex, right? There's a lot of like risk management considerations. And the truth is the DAO is not really suited for this. And it's, you know, it's acknowledged in the DAO. As token orders, we, we, we don't know how to do like risk management. So we're going to contract, you know, companies and, and basically pay companies to do this risk management for us. But the problem with this consultancy model is that consultants have no incentive to basically open source how they've been calculating those parameters. And this is where it's interesting is that very frequently, like every week, the DAO is going to vote for the updates of those parameters. And each of those parameters are proposed by consultants. But we have no way as the orders to verify that those parameters are the right ones. What that tells basically is that the entire security of lending pools today are based on closed source algorithms. And that's the truth. The entire security of lending in DeFi today is not trustless at all. So that's uh, something, you know, when you're lending to the Aave, Aave, Aave platform is hidden from you because it's actually very complex and it has to be abstracted away. Like you don't have to care about those, those very complex things. But at the end of the day, you know, it was not a problem when we had like 10, 20 different parameters. But now that we have 700, you know, it's, it's, we, we could tell that, you know, by the number of like recent incidents that have happened over the last year in, you know, compound ecosystem, the Aave ecosystem, like we're, for example, having huge bars that we had not noticed. We don't know how to update parameters to react to this. Um, basically shows that the model does not scale, which brings us to our second point, where to scale, the Aave platform need to list more assets and to be more aggressive with parameters. But the problem is, you know, the more assets you're going to list, the more num- the bigger the number of parameters and the bigger the trust assumptions, right? And it all comes back to this problem of, you know, having token orders deciding on parameters that they don't really understand and they outsource to, to consultants, basically. And there is a third problem associated to this, which is efficiency. In the sort of like traditional lending pool model, you're trading to do, you're, you're basically doing everything at the same time. Like you're, you're lending USDC and enabling the borrowing of CRZ and, and, accepting, you know, other assets as collateral. And you cannot get the general intuition in that if you're doing too many things at the same time, you're not able to do one thing extremely well. And to give you an example of this, 
the avid lending pool has, for example, you know, long tail collateral. And so when setting the risk parameters of like uh, USDC, uh, if you're able with USDC to borrow CRV, well, you know, you gotta get the idea that you want to lower the collateral factor of USDC because it's not correlated with like a very long tail asset, for example. Um, so you lose efficiency in terms of how much borrowers can borrow on, in terms also of, you know, the interest rate. And one of the reasons why you have such a big spread that Morpho has been, Morpho Optimizer has been uh, advent, uh, optimizing for is, is because of those reasons, basically. Because the AVI lending pool, the compound lending pool, are trying to do everything all at once. So those are the three main shortcomings, not trustless, not efficient, and not scalable. And when you think about it, it all comes down to one thing, which is dependency on the DAO, right? And the idea that everything is made such that everything is passive and everything is handled, everything is managed through the DAO. Paul, I think you laid out the shortcomings really well with like the real world examples of what's being done in Abe and Compound. And and to be honest, like kind of like the facade of some of the DAO governance and, you know, parameters controls when when really it's being outsourced to a group that we don't really have a grasp on how the inner workings of that design is done and implemented. So I think with like that, can you kind of walk through now almost like the same three examples and how Morpho Blue is addressing these? Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and and maybe first, very quickly to come back on the the you know the consultancy problem. I think consultants here are not to blame at all. It's just that the the system, the way it's built, is not incentive compatible for them to open source the work they've been doing. And I think it's important to emphasize that, like, it, it's not in their best interest to show to everybody what is what is it like to set those risk parameters. Because if they do, then you know probably won't be able to charge the same fee that they are doing right now. Anyway, now a- answering your your you know your question on how Morpho Blue is going to to you know improve in those three different dimensions uh the current state of DeFi lending. I think the first thing is we want to get rid of DAO management and we want to do a protocol an actual protocol, the same way HTTP is a protocol, the same way SMTP is a protocol, not a funds, not a non-chain fund that's being managed. Like HTTP is not managed. SMTP is not managed. It's like an actual list of instruction that's completely trustless, that's completely immutable in some sense. And this is where we want to get to. And our vision is that DeFi should be built like the internet with trustless and immutable protocol that are extremely unopinionated, extremely efficient at the core, and then on top of which, we can rebuild the different abstractions that are needed for anyone to interact with DeFi. So in practice, what we're going to do with Morpho Blue is to do something extremely simple, a lending protocol that does just one thing, which is the lending and borrowing of one asset against one collateral. So one Morpho Blue market is 600 lines of code completely immutable, enables the lending and borrowing of USDC against WETH, for example. And it is just that. And because it is just that, you can make it completely trustless, so completely immutable, because it's super simple. There is like no management at all. And you can make it extremely efficient. Okay, so like a market is, you know, going to be STEs, for example, is just very correlated market. So you can get extremely high collateral factor for borrowers, meaning that borrowers can borrow very efficiently compared to existing lending protocols. The gas that Morpho Blue uh, is using is really minimal. I think we're like in the orders of magnitude of like 70% less on average than uh, existing lending markets. So that's like massive improvements uh, com- compared to the, the current state of things. And finally, interest rates, uh, you know, f- for different reasons because we're just focused at lending and borrowing of just one asset and we don't need to guarantee the liquidity of like a ton of different assets at the same time we can get to much much smaller spreads. so the initial spread problem that morpho had been optimizing for over the last year does not exist anymore on morpho blue because the protocol is so efficient 
that the rates can be very, very close to one another. And it's actually so efficient that it makes morpho optimizer completely relevant. And so that's for the sort of like trust aspect and the efficiency aspect. The big problem though is the passivity of it. You know, as I mentioned, Aave is an awesome product. Like you can lend USDC, you don't have to think about it. And, you know, risk managers uh, are going to take care of it for you. And they're going to create the Aave protocol for you. And that's awesome. And we don't have this in Morpho Blue because uh, you have like a ton of different markets that are all immutable. You have like, you know, USDC backed by STEs, USDC backed by WBTC. So if I'm a passive USDC lender, like I don't know which market I should be lending to. And that's the problem with, with, with Morpho Blue. And this is why we have uh, another protocol uh, that was introduced a few days ago uh, that's called Metamorph. And Metamorpho is a risk management protocol that enables anyone to create a USDC pool, for example, the exact same way you would have the Aave pool on top of Morpho. So basically a risk manager can now create a USDC pool and say, hey, you can deposit your USDC into it the same way you would do on Aave. And I'm going to allocate this USDC to different Morpho Blue markets and I'm going to risk manage it for you the same way I've been risk managing the Aave pool. So Metamorpho is basically rebuilding Aave on top of Morpho Blue. But the cool thing about it is that not only can you rebuild Aave, but you can also rebuild Compound. You can rebuild Spark. You can rebuild Flex Finance. You could rebuild Aave Arc, for example, if you wanted to, on top of one single trustless and efficient lending primitive, which is Morpho Blue. And all instances you know, maybe we'll be able to to talk about it, but all instances are sharing network effects with one another and benefits from one another. Paul, I've got a few rapid fire questions for you, and these all go back to what you just walked us through, but I, I want to uh, be as specific as possible with some of the features here, because th these are the things I know we care about as, as DeFi users. Uh, first off, uh, what do you anticipate will be uh, the LTV for uh, a vault with, let's say it's a volatile pair, like let's say you're borrowing something like uh, DAI or USDC against ETH. I guess like how high could the LTV potentially go? It highly depends on market conditions and, and everything. So don't, don't you know, use the LTV I'm saying right now because, you know, market conditions can change, etc. cetera. Uh, the order of magnitude is that, you know, you can usually... On the Aave pool, it would be close to like, you know, 75, 80%, maybe 82% orders of magnitude. Whereas on Morpho Blue, you can get up to like 90, 92%. That's more the order of magnitude of what you, you can get to uh, on Morpho Blue. And it's really like a massive difference in terms of like the amount of like capital efficiency you're able to get as borrower. And that's like one of the biggest asks that borrowers have been, you know, asking for. And this is why, you know, Aave decided to reintroduce E-mode, but that's like complexity added on top of complexity, right? It's just like, as a fund, as a broker, we're going to have this new feature, which, you know, is like additional parameters, additional complexity in the same bucket. And it's like sort of it's the same one-size-fits-all risk management, uh, while on Morpho Blue, it's like breaks, in, breaks it down into mini micro primitives that are ultra-efficient, uh, that we can sort of build uh, on top of, uh, and it's much, much more scalable at the end of the day. So for borrowers, much higher capital efficiency. I think on average, I think we, we, we did some simulation internally. I think on average, you can get twice more uh, uh, leverage on Morpho Blue than what you would have on, on Aave, which is massive. Uh, but that's on the, not only for leverage, you have like an average 5x time, you know, less gas. Uh, you have also... Uh, much uh, much better interest rate because because the protocol is is completely immutable. It does not need to take a maintenance fee, for example. Like Aave is taking you know a significant fee on interest rate to maintain the protocol. Okay, uh, in the case of Morpho Blue, we, we don't have such a fee. So we uh, because the protocol is immutable, there is no maintenance to be done. So that's you know better rate for uh, for borrowers. And also finally. Because the protocol is just optimizing, is just lending and borrowing on one asset, there are more complex reasons why you can get to higher level of utilization of capital, which translates into 
thinner spread. So better rates, better rates, better less gas and better better leverage for bars. I think one thing you just cleared up for me is uh, you mentioned that uh, you could rebuild something like an Ave on Morpho Blue, uh, and maybe they will. Maybe a future version of Ave actually will be thought to be built on it. I was I was kind of thinking of that preparing for the interview, but. Um, what I'm wondering then, or if you can just clarify, uh, you can only borrow one asset against one collateral at this, right? There's not going to be multiple collaterals that allow you to borrow against that. So at the Morpho Blue level, at the protocol level, Morpho Blue does much less than Aave. It does not let you do as many things as Aave. It just lets you borrow one asset against one collateral. That's it. The good thing is that it's permissionless, exactly like Uniswap, so you can create any markets you want. So you can enable lending and borrowing of any assets against any asset, right? Uh, but it's isolated lending pairs. Now, on top of this, you can rebuild abstractions because, you know, MorphoBlue itself is very primitive and can get a bit complex to use and select which market to use, et cetera, et cetera. This is why on the lending side of things, for example, you don't want to you know, you don't want to wrap your head around like choosing which market I should be lending USDC to. And this is why for the lending side of things, you could have a risk manager doing risk management for you and basically create a metamorpho vault. So it's an entire separate protocol where a risk manager can create their own USDC pool. You deposit USDC into it and the risk manager is going to be able to uh, deposit this USDC into the different collateral markets up to a certain cap. And so this lending experience, not borrowing, but this lending experience is basically the virtualization of the Aave experience. So basically on Aave, you lend USDC and it's getting exposed to, let's say, 10 different collateral. On Metamorpho, you could have a risk expert that is going to manage the same exposure as the Aave one for your USDC loan. So you can deposit USDC into Metamorpho and get the exact same exposure that you'd get on Aave. But it's only for lenders. Morpho V1 is on Ethereum mainnet. Uh, can we expect Morpho Blue to go live on any of the major Ethereum L2s? Yeah, so the reason why we, we thought Morpho Optimizer, like Morpho V1, you know, was not super relevant other, on other chains is, again, for the same reason that we're targeting multiple orders of magnitude of growth. And, you know, going to another chain is more like 20... 20%, 30%-ish improvement uh, maximum. Uh, Morpho Blue is only 600 lines of code, completely immutable. So from you know operations perspective, it's extremely easy to go cross-chain. And I think it will be even more relevant once we have a couple of other products live. Paul, any products you can point out or describe uh, that you'd like to see built on Morpho Blue, or or that we can expect to be built on Morpho Blue. Yeah, sure. So, really, anything lending and borrowing can be rebuilt on top of Morpho Blue. Morpho Blue is so primitive. You know, the the biggest concern we had with Av is that it was doing too many things at the same time, so that did not let builders express sufficiently themselves to build. You know, big business cases on top of 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 Aave. and you know, we're the biggest. You know use case on top of Aave and still we're extremely limited. So we thought we should do much less so that builders can do much more. And so anything lending, you know, all the lending tools, all the lending protocols uh, can actually be rebuilt on this Morpho Blue micro primitive. And this is what we're particularly excited about uh, is that lending protocols themselves can can be rebuilt on, on top of Morpho Blue. So anything lending, basically. Uh, one last rapid fire question for you. Uh, can you just quickly list off uh, the fees that we would consider as users? And, and also, if you can repeat, uh, there was a fee there that we pay with lending borrowing markets with Aave that Morpho Blue um, does not charge. Yes. So my mental model for fees in, in, in DeFi is that you have basically two kind of that. You have the network fee and you have the, uh, so the protocol network fee uh, and the uh, service fee. So the network fee is similar to what you have on, on Uniswap. And it's quite theoretical because so far it has not been activated. So it's basically a fee switch that can be activated if the protocol is so big that it has so much network effect that it creates value 
not through services, but through being a network itself, right? And the protocol is then able to extract a little bit of, uh, of profits from just being a great network. And Morpho Blue has the exact same system, a fee switch that's initially deactivated that could be activated through governance the same way a Uniswap fee switch could be activated through governance. But it does not have the second kind of fee, which is the service fee, where basically you pay a fee for a service. And usually this service is abstracting away complexity. In the case of the Uniswap Labs front end, well, you pay for getting access to a smooth front end. In the case of Aave, well, you pay to get access to like a risk managed on-chain fund, right? And if you use Metamorpho, which is on top of MorphoBlue, it's because you're a passive user and you don't want to be caring about, you know, uh, this, the collateral factors and all those complex risk parameters. You want something to some somebody to manage it for you, the same way you want somebody to manage it for you on Aave. Okay, and so you uh, can use a Metamorpho vault, which has uh, a fee on the interest rate that you're taking that goes to the risk manager directly. So risk managers, instead of being consultants for DAOs, are now servicing the user directly, which makes it particularly interesting for them. By the way, yeah, that's actually a really neat arrangement there um like there there's there's an interesting incentive for them to kind of manage risk on all these different vaults and i guess take like a small piece of the pie essentially um one thing i think we should touch on like i'm curious if morpho blue is doing anything different uh with liquidations or maybe you can walk us through how those would work if it's kind of like a, a more typical arrangement or maybe yeah give us some uh, clarity there we've been researching liquidation for a year and uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting problem. I won't go into the details, but really, I think we, we, we got to a very good conclusion, which is there are a ton of ways to do exotic liquidation systems. You know, Euler introduced uh, with Engo protocol Dutch auctions where, you know, your liquidation happens over time and it's, you know, softer for borrowers. You could think of like other kind of auctions, English auctions, for example, uh, could be interesting. Um, you know, Aave and Compound introduced the notion of close factor, which is liquidating, you know, only a certain portion of the uh, uh, of the position. And really, we don't think there is a good way or a bad way of, of doing liquidation. This is why we're doing the primitive way, on top of which you can rebuild the liquidation you want. So we're going for the fastest, most primitive liquidation system, which is similar to the one you have on Aave where it give, if you go above the liquidation threshold, well, you get liquidated for a fixed amount of your collateral. So that's the fastest possible liquidation mechanism, so the safest. And then on top of that, if borrowers want to subscribe to a Dutch auction or if they want to be liquidated bit by bit, a little bit before this primitive liquidation, well, you can subscribe to this on top. And it's the always the same paradigm, which is, having a trustless and minimal and unopinionated and efficient protocol at the core. And then on top, you can re-abstract away things. But we really want to narrow it down to only the very necessary things so that it's completely immutable and opinionated. And then on top, rebuild abstraction layers up to mass adoption, basically. Something else I was just thinking, if users can be exposed or, or create markets for literally any asset, I guess, like, what what are some of the risks to that? Like, when you're when you're walking through building this, that that you foresee, because um, obviously you can spin up pools, I guess, or vaults uh, with highly volatile, low li liquid assets that can have dramatic price changes and stuff like that. But I, I mean, and I guess you're just you're building the tool. It's up to the users to do with it what they will, essentially. But um, how are you thinking through that? Exactly. So this is where our vision with the Avid team diverges a lot. Avid is looking to build great financial products. We're looking to build internet protocols. And when you think of HTTP and IP, there's a bunch of things you don't want to, you know, there's a lot of bad things on the internet, right? And there's a lot of bad things on Uniswap too. Like if you, you know, go beyond the front end that where they created for you, you know, on Uniswap, you have a bunch of scam tokens, a bunch of illiquid targets, etc. And the idea for us is that, okay, the protocol should remain unopinionated and very simple. And maybe people are going to create scams with it, right? 
But then it's the goal of abstraction layers to create that for the passive users. And this is how the internet has been you know, built. And obviously there is a certain downside to that, but I think the upside largely you know, outweighs the downside of this approach, right? Uh, and so in the front end of, of Morpho, for example, uh, which by the way will be very minimal, um, you know, you'll just be have like you you'll have a created list of assets, and you won't be able to you know uh, create a market with a scam token that will be directly listed in in the front end. Uh, however, if you really want to get you know to this market, then you can go it, through it on the Ethereum blockchain. Paul, what else can you tell us about the risk management protocol? This metamorpho. Uh, I'd love to understand like how does this unlock or enable us to to build uh, new and interesting products on Morpho Blue? For us, Metamorpho is one of the biggest unlock when it comes to growing DeFi to the next orders of magnitude. Basically, what it enables you is to rebuild the current DeFi lending abstractions on top of a single trustless and efficient lending primitive. What that means is that one risk manager, instead of you know doing consultancy for a DAO like Maker or like Aave, uh, those kind of consultants, they can build their own metamorpho vault and accept passive USDC um, and allocate this USDC to various primitive morpho blue markets, and they're going to basically manage the exposure of USDC to those different collateral the same way as they're doing it on Aave. And the great thing about it is that it's completely permissionless. So it's a permissionless risk management layer where anyone can spin off their own uh, metamorpho vault. And you could reproduce the exact same exposure that you get on Compound 3 or the exact same exposure you get on, on Avisy 3 or the one you get on Spark. And where it gets interesting is that you can rebuild any lending pool but also, if two lending pools share two different assets, collateral assets, they would share liquidity. So let me explain that part specifically. On Compound and on Aave, they both list STEs, for example, like on Compound 3. Uh, and turns out, you know, they have similar risk parameters on those two markets, but they don't share liquidity. Like liquidity is isolated. Now, imagine someone recreating Compound 3 on top of Morpho Blue and Aave V3 on top of of, of Morpho Blue. Well, the lending markets are going to share liquidity to the extent that they share risk. Because at the end of the day, the liquidity will be deposited in the same Morpho Blue micro primitive. And that's very exciting because it has like very interesting network effects. When people are creating Metamorpho Vaults, there is already liquidity in the Morpho Blue network that they can tap into. And so they can recreate existing lending markets, but they can go beyond that. They could create real-world asset-based lending lending markets, and you know maybe at some point institutional want to also create you know some kind of markets for their own use. And when we've been talking to them, one of their biggest remark was like, the reason why we're not using Ave is okay. There is KYC reasons, but the main biggest reason is because we don't want our risks to be managed by token holders. We know how to do risk ourselves, and we don't want you know. Uh, token orders to to manage it for us, which is understandable when you're like a multi-trillion dollar asset manager. And so basically those guys are more than happy to use an opinionated, trustless, and efficient protocols uh, if they got to do the risk management themselves and if they're in control. So that unlocks a wide variety of institutional use cases as well, but also use cases on long-tail assets, et cetera, et cetera. So it really helps grows the pie in terms of asset listing, in terms of players involved, and also in terms of efficiency, which makes it particularly interesting for the years ahead. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, one other thing I've been thinking about is just the Morpho token itself. I was just reading up a bit on it before this uh, interview here, and there's definitely some interesting characteristics going on with it um, around things such as non-transferability and then some future distribution mechanisms built in. Um, and you, and you mentioned, uh, two words earlier that gets, uh, crypto people really excited, which is fee switch. So, uh, maybe, I don't know how any of that ties in, but, uh, w would just love for you to elaborate just on this, like, sort of like novel and interesting design and kind of where you're going with it. In my mind, tokens are a new form of ownership that are extremely powerful to 
raise capital, but also to incentivize behaviors in, in you know certain behaviors that are helpful to bootstrap a, a protocol or to bootstrap a business uh, whatsoever. And I think sometimes people want to to do a lot of things with their token. I think the focus should be narrowed down to you know for the most part governance and help a, a, a utility for bootstrapping a network basically where in the case of morpho we want to incentivize people for the long term to to basically use the protocol because like in many two-sided markets like uh you know dexes or or lending and borrowing protocol you have lenders you have bars uh, but you know, bars won't come if you don't have lenders, and lenders won't come if you don't have bars. So, in most you know uh, multi-sided markets, you need to a first incentive to bring the first players. And I think tokens, because they're very programmable, are excellent for this purpose. But the downside then is that if you make them very liquid on the early days, it can literally kill a project, right? Like you know, uh, the early um, so-called farmers are going to come in. And they are interested in the token because they would be able to set it right away, right? And you have a new kind of farmers which are, you know, not only are they interested in getting your tokens because they they believe in the project and they believe the project is going to to succeed. And so you could think of those players as more like liquidity mercenary that are aligned with the project and sort of like invest in the project through behavior rather than through uh, actual like money. And making the token non-transferable was uh, an exceptional way to get this sorted, basically. And I'm, I'm very happy we went that route uh, for this first reason. The second reason is that it was super important for me that the token was not launched with a large information asymmetry. I think one of the biggest problems with token launches is that the price of the launch, the day of the launch is, you know, extremely valuable information that are known to a very close set of users. And I think decentralizing the protocol before making it transferable the same way we're doing, where ownership gets distributed to contributors, investors, and users before the event of transferability itself enables decentralization of the project even before the token is liquid. And the decision of making the token liquid should be and will be truly decentralized, like genuinely decentralized and made in the open such that everybody, every possible investor get to know all the information about the project before, you know, making the decision of making it transferable. And I think those are the biggest two virtues of making the tokens transferable. It's like much more aligned and fair token launches. And second, uh, such a, such a better tool to incentivize specific behaviors with risk aligned, uh, with, sorry, long-term aligned uh, farmers. I, I love to point out also that uh, uh, Morpho has over a billion in assets deposited. And although that token is non-transferable uh, or the fact that it is not transferable means that we don't have this like, you know, this reward that is subsidizing folks. Obviously we can all speculate on what that will be in the future. Cause um, to be clear, I, 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 it's not up to me, of course, it's not up to Paul, but it's up to everyone that's holding that non-transferable token. Um, I can't imagine that it won't be transferable in the future. Uh, and so when it is, um, I, I think obviously then that that will be uh, a reward to those who have been, you know, long-term, uh, users and contributors to the protocol. And this is not the easy road. Like the, you've definitely kind of taken the long patient road. I'm sure there were times during the crypto bear market you uh, had to have felt like a genius not having launched a token uh, during that time. But uh, it's going to be exciting to see just how much more uh, Morpho Blue grows. And and honestly, I think Morpho V1 still has lots of room to grow. Like that as a protocol itself will will um, continue to grow with the likes of Aave and Compound. Yeah, absolutely. I think Morpho Optimizer could still grow. But not sufficiently for it to become really interesting. I think, you know, we're not targeting like Morpho is not targeting to become the biggest, you know, lending protocol in DeFi uh, on DeFi Lama and leaderboards. We're looking to become present in Tratify leaderboards. That's the real goal. Like the real goal 
is not to you know get twenty percent extra or or two x our currency yet. The, the, we're several orders of magnitude behind what traditional finance is able to do in traditional lending markets, and what we're looking for is orders of magnitude, right? And to us, there is no other way around than just big paradigm shifts. Yeah, that's really exciting to hear. I, I think that's a perspective too that I wish more builders would take on uh, in, in our space that uh, instead of uh, trying to nibble at each other's market share, recognizing that that the pie is, is still so tiny compared to what it's going to be. Um, so that that's exciting to hear. And I think, I think it reflects uh, what I have seen in terms of the focus and, and uh, progress of, of the team at Morpho. Uh, Paul, this is a good place for us to uh, wrap up. So I want to remind uh, listeners first off that uh, they can learn more about Morpho. Uh, this is uh, Morpho, the protocol at morpho.org. They can go on Twitter and they can follow you at uh, just, we'll show it up there on screen. Uh, it's just your first and last name. Uh, and then uh, we've also got the uh, Twitter X account for Morpho Labs, which is just Morpho Labs. Uh, so you can keep up to date on you know news and announcements there. And then I'd love to end with, uh, you know, of course, the, the most important question of like, when can we expect Morpho Blue to go live? And then any other milestones you're willing to share or alpha you're willing to share for, for those of us who will look forward to using Morpho Blue? Yeah, sure. Uh, I have a bunch of alpha, to be frank. I don't know how much I'm able to tell right now. Uh, so Morpho Blue uh, and Metamorpho are all set to, to go live on, on test nets. It's just a matter of like getting the code contest uh, finished. Like we have a code contest of uh, 200k uh, dollars price pool starting in a week from now or two weeks from now probably more I can't remember to be frank uh, after that we will be able to go live and the alpha remains on like all the different partners that have been building with us for some of them for more than six months already and we have a lot of people that already have their integration audited going live you know the first day for some of them the first week and the first few months on Morphoblus. I'm very excited to share one after the other all the different, you know, companies that someone would never expect would be building on Morphoblue, uh, but uh, would be. Well, Paul, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast to talk with us about Morphoblue. Uh, I know that Nomadic and I uh, are excited to actually be able to to use that. Again, you, you've checked off a lot of... Uh, a lot of the features that I know we've been looking for in, in new uh, lending and borrowing protocols. And uh, we'll have to have you back. Once you're live, we'd love to have you back on so that we can actually show people uh, what it looks like and how to navigate the application. So anyways, congrats on all the progress. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to actually see this on Testnet. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Thanks everyone for tuning in. If you're a talented founder or developer, please consider reaching out to our team at fourthrevolution.capital. And for future episodes of The Edge podcast, please check out our link tree at edge underscore pod.